What's good? Welcome to the What's Good Podcast. I'm your host, Milton Young. Welcome to episode 11. It's a little earlier than I thought it would be, but I had something interesting happen to me. Someone actually reached out to me. Um, They actually set up an Anchor account. I mentioned it a few times in my last episode, and they left me a message asking about depression. Because if you remember my first, so well, actually, even in my first, um, my first interview, I mentioned the whole thing of why I got into jujitsu and because it had a lot to do with depression. So the person reached out to me and was asking me how I dealt with the depression. Um, like, how did I know that I was depressed? I think it was a great question, and that's kind of what inspired me to just jump on here and make sure I got an answer. So it's a little raw. I'm not prepared. I don't have any notes really written down or anything like that, but I just just want to really share what happened with how I knew that I was depressed. Because that's, I mean, it's, this is a really, it's one question, but it has many pieces to it. So I'm going to break it down. So how did I know I was depressed? I knew I was depressed because I wasn't doing the things that I normally did. I wasn't working out. I wasn't, um, I wasn't working out and I wasn't motivated and I didn't want to get up. And when I did get up, I was always just kind of like dragging and that's really not, that's not, that's just not me. That's not how I was when I was in school, going for the school record. That's not when I was when I was going through college, trying to go be on the dean's list. It's just, it's, it's not, it's not me. But it took me, it, it took me a while to identify that because you kind of just realize, you wake up one day and you realize that it's happening, you know, and you feel it and you ignore it because you get into a routine, not a good routine, a bad routine. We all have routines. And mine was being broken up because, like I said, I wasn't doing the things that I, that made me happy. So once I identified that, what did I do? Because I think that's the most important. How did I know I, did, I was depressed? Because I was making, I was doing things to make sure that I would be undepressed. And what were those things? I didn't like the way I felt. I didn't even know if it was depression. I didn't go to a doctor to see that. I just knew that the way that I felt about getting up and being up weren't good. I never thought about killing myself or anything like that. Um, those were never signs. It was just that I was off. So what did I start to do? I started looking for positive things to listen to. Um, anything that was motivational. I would make sure that when I woke up, it was part of my morning, my, my morning routine. If I got up, I would pull up YouTube, and I would just find something inspirational, and I would just listen to it. And then after I listened to it, I would get up. So then after I got up, I would still kind of like lag. So I started listening to more things like podcasts, like Joe Rogan's podcast. And um, what did that do for me? It just kind of kept me motivated. And I saw that he was doing cool things. And I, it just made me interested in someone doing, doing those cool things. And I just started asking myself, why can't I do those cool things? And one of those cool things that he did was he had a morning routine. I don't remember what his morning routine is. It doesn't matter. But what I remember was that it was a routine. So that means he did it over and over and over again until it was almost like instinct. 
So I realized that in order for me to get out of my slump, I had to start developing myself a morning routine. So I started looking at reading up on all these different morning routines, looking at some of the most effective people and what kind of morning routines they had. And I realized that there was a pattern. And that pattern was making their bed. It's the strangest thing you've probably heard. But this one single activity really, really started transcending me out of depression. And what it was was that when I would get up in the morning, I would try to get up at 5. That never happened. Try to get up at 6. That never happened. Try to get up at 7. That never happened. Try to get up at 8. Happened. So I made that my routine. I get up at 8 in the morning, every morning. And as soon as I got up, I'd make my bed. Sounds like a childish thing. It sounds very rudimentary. It sounds very basic. But it made all the difference. And this is why. Multiple reasons. One, it told the day that I was serious. It told the day that I went to sleep thinking that the next day, the first promise I would make to myself was I was going to make my bed. So when I got up and made that promise, I was telling myself that I just gave myself the first promise. The first thing on my checklist, keep all your promises for the rest of the day. It also shows that when I make my bed, I'm making it properly. Not just throwing sheets on top of it. I'm doing it so it looks proper. Because it's telling me for the rest of the day I'm going to be doing that. I'm going to have the proper attitude. When I dress, I'm going to dress properly, not sloppy. When I eat, I'm going to eat properly, not sloppy. When I leave, my hair's going to be cut. I'm going to look sharp, not sloppy. And then when people look at you, they start to see that he's sharp, not sloppy. And then when people look at you and they see that you're sharp and not sloppy, they address you differently. And when they address you differently, they build your confidence. And then when your confidence builds, you're not depressed. But what I had to do was make sure that I didn't break that promise. And I'm going to teach you something else that helped me get out of depression. It's a cheat. And it really works. If you do something longer for 30 days, consistently, it automatically becomes a habit. Now, I want someone, I want someone to, just like someone reaching out to me at Anchor, I want someone to challenge me, do something for 30 days. I'll give you three examples that I did. One was putting my keys in the same spot, putting my wallet. The second one was putting my wallet in the same spot. <laughs> the third one was putting my, my laptop in the same spot. Because those were like, those were the biggest waste in my morning. Because when I have a routine, I, I knew how, how you keep a routine going is just kind of keeping it in check by time, right? So when I get up, I know I have about 45 minutes to do everything I need to do. But what I realized is that sometimes I was spending 10 minutes looking for my keys, and then another five minutes looking for my laptop, and then three minutes looking for my wallet, because they were all over the place, in the couch, in the lantern, in the bathtub, like, don't ask, and those, the wallet, and those are just my keys, so <laughs> don't ask, but that's how it went down. Um, 
but yeah, so when I can control that and I started putting them in the same spot every morning, so then I woke up, I knew where they were and it just, it was a split second decision. Sometimes it just came like an instinct when I was walking by, I knew where to just reach for my key. I knew where to just reach for my wallet and I was out the door. It saved me so much time, saved me so much more stress and it became a habit because of the 30 day time period. So I challenge anybody to do something for longer than 30 days and then it like not work. It doesn't work that way. Okay, so now you have a routine. You wake up in the morning, you make your bed, right? You drink your glass of water. You take whatever supplements you need because we all need supplements, vitamin D. If you think you're about, you're gonna be depressed because if you're up in the Northeast like me, you don't get a lot of sunlight. If you don't get a lot of sunlight, you need vitamin D. And vitamin D deficiency is the number one leading cause of depression. So that's like an easy cheat. That's another easy cheat. Just take that. So you have your morning routine. You get through your morning routine. It's all positive. It's all promises that you're keeping to yourself. You're holding yourself. You're keeping yourself accountable. You wake up. You made your bed. You drank your water. Took your vitamins. Worked out. Listen. If you're in the gym working out a half, an hour a day, no, let's, let's forget it. 35 minutes. I'm sure you watch f- three hours worth of Netflix, but just give yourself 35. And I'm not saying you, I'm talking to my old you, not any, not directing this towards anybody. I'm just saying me, like my old me, watching crazy stuff. Why well, should be focused on working out, developing my mind? while I'm working out. So, <clears throat> wake up, you give yourself 35 minutes in the gym, do whatever you want, stay on the bicycle. And I did. Went from one mile, which was painful, to five miles, to 10 miles, to 15, to 20, and then it's like a meditation. Before you know it, you're doing that in 20 minutes, then you're jumping off the, the bike, and then you're just doing some, 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 just some move some weights, just get the circulation going. Get oxygen, your body moving. It changes your thoughts. You know, when you sit down, you get st- you get stuck in the same set, doing whatever you're doing. Just think about it. When you're sitting down on your phone, when you're sitting down, you know, watching television, when you're sitting down eating, all those things. But when you're up, doing same name those same things. What are you doing? Moving around. Moving around. I'm like I'm gonna tell you guys a secret too about when I was designing the logo. So people can say, oh, this, this, the people listening to this podcast right now, they, these are the most important people to me because you guys are, are going to, you guys are the one that keep me going. You guys are the one that give me the messages, giving me the feedback, telling me that I'm being inspiring. Um, you guys just keep me going, so I appreciate it. So I'm just give you a little gem, because you know when I started getting five thousand views per episode and ten thousand views per episode, years down the road, I want the people that listen early to have like little gems about me. You know what I mean? Because this show is gonna grow, and I'm gonna keep doing it. You'll see. So keep it moving. Where'd that come from? If you look at everything that I've said so far about getting up at 8 o'clock in the morning, the habits, the rituals, the behaviors. It's all about movement. You can't be depressed if you're moving. 
You know what I'm saying? Like if you get up, you feel down. Just get up and go in a place where there's positive energy. You know? Go to a place where there's positive energy. And then if you still feel down, then you probably need some help. You know, sometimes you can't do it yourself. But sometimes if it's as light as getting up and just going in a positive, positive place, you know. Now, I'm not saying, you know, but for me, I'll, gi- I'll give you an example. Like, I'm very blessed to have a very talented young nephew that plays football for Shen. Unpor- unfortunately, he plays football for Shen. Because I was Saratoga. Oh, yeah, I know all the alumni listening to this are going nuts. But it's, yeah, I know. I know. But anyway, he's very talented. So I get to go to this, to get to see him play at these high school events that are like college events at this school. It's crazy. Um, But there's a lot of positive energy there. Like, all those moms going nuts for their kids, a lot of positive energy. You can't stay negative in that type of environment. Then you have these kids out in the field playing their hearts out and doing these phenomenal things. You know, that's all positive. Go and, I mean, hopefully have kids playing in the game, but try to find and put yourself in those type of situations, parades, corny stuff like that, nature walks, stuff that's stuff that's positive. Has You have to remain positive. And no matter what you do, when you start to get down, Start to be honest with yourself and just try to put things in, in, in logic and just think about how fortunate you are, you know? You know, you really, if you really, if you really feel bad right now, I'm going to give you some reality. Go sit in an emergency room. I did it the other day when I injured my finger. It was terrifying. Like, when you think you're having a bad day because you're 15 minutes late to work or a bill, or say something gets turned off, you know, or a flat tire, guess what? All those things can be fixed. If you're depressed because of money, one day I'll tell you about my divorce. (laughs) Then we can talk about money. (laughs) But since... uh, we're not going to go there. I'm going to tell you a little trick that I've taught myself mentally to get through the, the whole money thing. Money can be made by working. It's not infinite. But the harder you work, the more money you make. It's as simple. So whatever you need, just work hard for it. If it means two jobs, it means going in, it means whatever. Just make it happen. I can't I can't explain how simple it is, this whole money concept. People just they think that, you know, because they have some money in the bank and they lose it. The wife takes them to court and takes all of it. <laughs> that they'll never make it back. That's not true. Because you gotta believe in yourself and know that, well, it was me that made it in the first place, so probably going to be able to make it again. And that's reality, and that's the honest part, that sometimes it's hard. And all of it's hard. And you just owe it to yourself to be positive. Because, listen to me, I dare you to try this. Just 
for your own sanity. Be negative and go to one of your negative friends and just pick something negative to be. Like, just go to the mall and just hate and see how much hate comes out of you and your friend just sitting there. And it's just because you instigated the hate. Then one day, go somewhere with that same friend and do something very nice and just start instigating likes and see how much support you get from one and then see if he does it. And what I'm showing you is that your emotions direct other people's reactions. So if you're being negative, people are going to support your negativity. If you're being positive, people are going to support your positivity. So pick one and run with it. And if it means faking being positive for a little bit, it's worth your sanity. So try it. See what happens. I did it. It worked. So try it. But focus on the honesty part. Because that makes that makes the world a difference. And, you know, if, if you're not honest with yourself, you're never going to be able to take care of what you need to take care of, you know? I think the most honest I was ever with myself, and I'm happy that I was, is when I saw my brother run. So I, I'm, everybody that knows me knows I'm fast as, that I'm fast. Uh, well, I was, not now. But in high school, that's what I was. That was my thing. But I got it from my brother. And the speed that my brother gave me because of the training that he, he gave me, and I just put my determination and just stuck to what he said. And I was honest with everything that he taught me. So when did I see my brother run? So I've been tearing up the track. I played, I, to put it in perspective, I was a freshman and I had a varsity letter. So what does that mean? It means I was a freshman and I was playing varsity and I lettered. When I was a sophomore, I was a captain of the varsity team. Okay. Before that, all I had done was just like run in elementary school, just, you know, field day. All the teachers wanted me on their team type stuff. Racing kids, giving them like, you know, five feet head start and beating them. When it came to distance, all the white boys beat me. <laughs> but when it came to short, like when it came to sprinting, forget about it. It was just it was just a whole different thing. But I didn't know what I was doing. It was just talent, just raw talent. You know what I mean? Determination just because I wanted to be better. And if told, someone told me I couldn't do it, then guess what? They were wrong. And that's how I took I took speed. So my brother came to came here from Jamaica and went right into um, high school at Saratoga, and started running track. The first time I went to see him run track, it's the most impressive thing I've ever seen in my whole entire life. At that age, I saw him run the two hundred meter dash, and it was so funny. He had some white with blue like uh tube socks on the ones with the lines in it and he was in the 200 meter dash and i remember just running up to the fence i just got out of i just got like to the track and he was up i'm not gonna lie yo my brother was dark i mean dark <laughs> he was like he was like watching a shadow run like dark <laughs> so but listen listen this i apologize but i'm just saying he was dark 
But when I saw him running, this was the most impressive thing that I saw. I thought, I thought it's like you know a helicopter, like the the chopper on the helicopter going around. I saw the dude's feet look like when he was coming around the turn. He ran so fast. He was going. His stride was like anything. Never nothing I ever seen before. It was unbelievable. And he was just he was it looked so smooth, like like textbook smooth, you know. So Coach Johnson came up to me, and he was like, "You see your brother?" I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, what, "What do you think?" I'm like, "I'm gonna be faster than him one day." So I said, "I wasn't a freshman. I didn't know what I was talking about." Actually, I wasn't even a freshman to be honest. That time when I saw my brother run, I was modified. I wasn't even a freshman yet. I didn't even know I had no business saying what I said. But you know what? My brother, being the brother that he was, I don't even think he heard that I said that, but he knew that's what I was gonna do. He started training me, and I had I had asthma, right? And the most honest, so that was the most honest part. Where I said I was gonna be faster than him. I meant it with every every grain in me. And I think the whole reason with everything going on with high school and you know my family and just school and being who I was in the environment that I was in, like it was hard for me to. Um, I didn't. I was so distracted with going after the record and being fast on my brother that I didn't really let any of that. I didn't really let any of that stuff distract me because I had a goal, you know. And this is all going to come back to being depressed because if you have goals as well and you can get distracted enough by the goals, then you forget how depressed you are. So you press on. So going back to the whole track thing, my brother started took me in. And, was like, yo, we got to get rid of this asthma if you're going to start running. Because I was just beating people. I didn't know, like I said, I was just running races, go. And he was winning. I was on the football field running. People were having a hard time catching me. So I was fast. But this dude gave me speed. You understand what I'm saying? Like, he gave me speed. Like, sometimes you meet people in your life that give you gifts that will follow you for the rest of your life. And it's only right that every time you look at that gift, you remember who, who gave it to you. And speed is what my brother gave me. He taught me how to work out, how to push past pain, how to set goals, monitor those goals to make sure that if you're achieving what you said you were going to do and hold yourself accountable if you're not, and you hold yourself accountable by being as very honest as you possibly can be. And he, and he gave me workouts that just made me want to stop. But I couldn't because I was watching him do it. That's the type of leadership he had. Watching him run around the... Yo, listen. You know how, like, when you're young and you, you think about Christmas and it's, like, years away? I lived in a neighborhood that had, like, a track around it that was, like... This, I felt the same way in comparison to distance. Like, it's a, if, if you told me to run around this neighborhood, I felt like it would be like you're telling me to run from here to New York City. For those people in upstate, they realize it's a two-and-a-half-hour drive. <laughs> so that's how I felt about running around this block. He told me I needed to start running around that block so I can strengthen my lungs. When I was trying to get halfway around the block, he was running around backwards. He ran the whole thing around backwards. And he told me, if I can do it backwards, you can do it forwards. You know, you know what type of impression that left on me? What kind of damage it did? Making it look so goddamn easy. And then, 
after he told told me to do that, we did abs for like a half an hour, <laughs> just ab workouts, like a half an hour, and then we did chest, and then we did arms, and then we did legs, and then I threw up. It's not even a joke. And then I asked him, "When we gonna, when when am I gonna stop throwing up?" And he said, "When you get stronger." And he said, like a Jamaican. You, I don't know if you guys know Jamaicans, but they're crazy. He just had this crazy look in his eyes, <laughs> like 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 yo, like yeah, I was gonna get stronger, and I did. And then he just he just told me the fundamentals and the basics and he just said listen just do these things and it was it was the basic things like striding striders and practicing my start where to come up where my head should be where my footing should be where I should feel the, the when I'm going around the track where I should lean like just things that I remembered just burn into my memory like right now I can walk it through my whole routine in the morning, run fresh. Because it was it was so routine. Like when we got up in the morning, it wasn't even like we needed a clock. We didn't have a, I'm telling you right now, I'm not even trying to say it to be funny. We didn't have an alarm clock back then. I don't think you had alarm clocks back then. But if we did, we didn't have one. But I know just by the way it felt, because I felt like I didn't want to be up, that it was early as it was early, so we had clocks. I knew we were getting up at the same time. I, I can't go back and tell you how early it was, but I know that the birds weren't chirping when I was up. I didn't, I didn't see anybody playing Nintendo when I was up running with him. And he was up like, when I woke up, he looked like he had been up waiting for me to wake up because he was already dressed, ready to go. And I had to follow that type of leadership. And I, But you know what that taught me? It taught me that if I was going to look that smooth and if my legs were going to move like helicopters and that if I was going to be the best, that this is what it took to do it. And there was no excuses for it. And if I wasn't going to hold myself at that accountable, then I wasn't going to be able to live up to what I said I was going to do. That's the honesty part. If you don't mean it, then don't say it. And it sounds cliche, but it's honest. And the best of anybody will repeat what I just said to you and say, yeah, it's cliche, but I do the same thing. You have to. So when he, man, when he gave me this, this, this gift of speed, it was, it was just like, kind of like I was just there. It was so natural to him. It was just like, yo, it's like you watching over his. I was like watching over his shoulder, as he was like just teaching me. But it was, but because he, he was just going through the motions and just like do, do this. You know, and there's no reason why you can't. But there was because he was much older than me, much stronger than me. But that wasn't that was that was an excuse back then. Like if he could run backwards around the whole entire track, even though he had bigger feet, bigger legs, to be longer stride, stronger arms, didn't matter. And then you know what else he gave me? The work ethic in the gym. So I'm like people's. People have all these comments about, you know, me being on TRT and he's on steroid. <laughs> no, I'm not. My brother had me on some crazy workouts. When I was in high school, I was benching 225 for like 10. 
when I was in 10th grade. <laughs> was I on steroids then? No. I got that because my brother taught me that, listen, in Jamaica where they had the fastest people, the reason why we're so fast is because of our work ethic in the gym. Because when everybody goes home after being on the track for two hours, we go in the gym for an hour. And we work there. So listen, tell me something. How could I be depressed when I was going to school? I mean, I go to school, I have all that drama there, and then I come after, listen, actually, everything I just said, we did before my day even started. So my day wasn't hard. The hardest part of my day was behind me because the person that was going to be pushing me was already pushed me. I just had to get through the rest of the day so I get to sleep early enough to wake up to go through torture again. But it wasn't torture, it was lesson, but I'm saying it was torture because it was painful. But it made me better. And he gave me a gift that if I didn't have, I wouldn't be where I am now. Because that speed was what got me into RPI, which is Renstar Polytech Institute, which is a dope-ass school for very smart people. They're typically don't look like me. <laughs> but I was so exceptionally fast, the coach knew who I was when I walked in there. I didn't have to introduce myself to the coach. The coach introduced himself to me. You know how powerful that was? And that's because it's something my brother gave me. That's what the whole funny thing, like these cliche sayings about, you know, don't give a man a fish, teach him how to fish. It's exactly what my brother did. So, you guys want to know if I got the school record or not? This wasn't the focus of the, the podcast. Yeah, I'll tell you if I got the school record or not. I'll tell you. So when I finally started running, my brother was just in track doing his thing. Like, you know, the summers is when he really worked with me, and then it was kind of odd to see if I would do it on my own, and I did. And sometimes I did it so you wouldn't see me doing it because eventually, because really I was going after his records. You know what I mean? And I was serious about it because I saw... I'm going to be honest with you. I saw the girls he was getting, okay? And I was like, I just want to get as many girls as him. <laughs> now I wanted that school record too. So I was focused on it. So I was working. I worked hard. And every year I got a little bit faster. And so I actually got onto the, the high school team. And I'll slow it down. I don't know why I'm rushing. Only a half hour into this, so I'll slow it down. So I got into the high school track team. And... um Brother was telling me about all these people that were, you know, on top of him. I know the names off the back of my head. Jason Diadio, he used to run 11.1. I know that, like, the back of my hand. Um, I remember going there watching Jason Diadio, tall dude. Real, real pretty boy. But he was just power. He had a powerful stride down the block. And the thing that was amazing about Jason Diadio was um, the fact that he was so tall, but he was, his turnover rate was so amazing. But yeah, he didn't have any upper body. It was all lower lower body, which is all relevant. I'll explain that to you later. So my brother always told me that when you know when he was building me, that he wanted me to work out as much as I can so that my upper body, especially in the 200 meter, would help pull me through the corner. Anybody that runs track understands that when you are leaning into the corner and using that momentum, a lot of times you run the first 100 meter dash. You really you use your legs. And then you power through the rest of it with your, with your arms because it's a trick to running. 
your arms run in sync with your legs. If you're pumping your legs high. Yeah, a little technical difficulty there. So yeah, Jason Diadio is probably um, one of the most impressive kids on the track team. And he was the strongest in terms of uh, the sprinters. I remember watching Jason run up against even my brother. And he was just so, my, my brother was a 400 meter and 200 meter runner. Jason Diadio was a 200 and 100 meter runner. Typically, if you guys don't know anything about track, if you run a 400 meter dash, um, you're a pretty decent 200 meter runner. If you're a 100 meter runner, you're a damn good 200 meter runner if you have endurance. Now the correlation between why you'd be a good 400 meter runner and a 200 is also because of the endurance because typically it's a it's a full out sprint. I mean, for the 200 meter dash. They say the same thing for someone that runs a 400 and to be honest, they are. But the thing is for someone like me, my full out sprint is a lot different than someone running a 400. You know, they're typically gonna run like, you know, a 13 second 100 meter dash. They're running something like that. And this is, we're talking about high school level, right? So someone that's running a 13 meter, you know, 13 second 200 versus someone that's running like a 11 second, it's a big difference. Jason Diado wasn't the fastest kid in the school. Um, but Jason Diado did have uh, his his fastest time was at, at 11 1 or 11 2. I think it was actually 11 1. I'll give him that. But it was a it was a crazy number to hit. It's a very hard number to go sub 11 in, in high school. It's not very it's not a very common thing to do. Um, so why my brother was such a good 200 meter dash runner is because he was so technically sound. He pretty much ran the 200 meter dash line as perfect as you could. I mean his lean was like. I could literally compare it to the lean when you see Michael Jackson doing that that crazy lean that he does. That was my brother going around the turn. All right, not as crazy, but you get the point. I mean, he was just using centripetal force to put much, as much momentum as he possibly could going into the turn, co coming out of the turn, going into the last 100-meter dash, which is typically run faster because that's coming from a standing start. Your first 100, you're running from... Um, you're running from a standing start, and your second, two hundred, your second one hundred, you're running from a running start. So obviously, that time when you when you break the two times in half is going to be faster. So his second was always so much more powerful than his first because of how how the able he the way he was able to transition his speed into the second one hundred meter dash it was literally amazing. Like I honestly feel that if you were standing next to him when he did it, you could feel him pass you. Actually, I know you could. I know you could, but I used to run it with him. So, um, <laughs> that was too far behind him to feel anything. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but I used to run it with him. But I know that, that you could feel it. So, I used to watch. I used to go to the track meets all the time. And by the time I started running on the track, the main track, when I was running freshman track, um, he was already gone. The thing was, all those summers that I was doing track, those summers that I was I was off, I was always working out. You know what I mean? Like just staying, doing the stuff that he taught me. It wasn't religious because he had at that point moved out. But it wasn't a religious, so I was just doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it. When it came to track season, my workout, my work ethic was so much different than the other kids because I had this training. 
and I would do it on my own, you know. So what it, the way it would work is that I would go to practice, do their trading, and go home. Or, or if I was up in that morning, depending if I didn't, but I always get it in, I would do the training that my brother taught me. So I was spending like three hours a day training just for this stupid track record, which wasn't stupid. You know why it wasn't stupid? Because it kept me off the streets. It kept me focused. And it got me girls. <laughs> it got me attention. So it wasn't stupid. And it was something I said I was going to do. And you know what? It's, it's crazy. But when you're kids... We lose this when we become adults. When you're kids, you say you're going to do something, you do it. You say you're going to build a fort, you build a fort. <laughs> For people that don't know what a fort is, look it up. Google it. <laughs> but that shit is a hard thing to do when you're a kid, all right? And, but you did it because you said you were going to do it. And even if that meant like just making it up out of your blankets, guess what? You built that, you were protected from aliens or whatever was in your closet. You go in that. You know what I'm saying? So it's the same thing. We lose that when we get older. But as a kid, I made myself that promise. I was going to do it. You know what? I don't think anyone believed me. I don't, I don't think anyone believed me. Being about it, Mac, I don't think anyone believed me. Because I was just a fast kid, but I didn't have a speed yet. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to tell you. So the first time I thought I – this is the first lesson Coach Johnson taught me. And I'm going I'm to step back one more time. I've been blessed with having some amazing coaches in my whole entire life. As far as coaches, I mean mentors. As far as mentors, I mean guiders in my life. You know what I mean? That just come in for, even if it's a year or two. I mean, you can have a mentor for a year or two. They might not even know they're your mentor. They're just leading you. And you're following and you're listening to everything they're saying. And you're not even, like, acknowledging. Like, you're not saying, okay, yay, I heard him say this. Or you dropped this knowledge and I'm doing You're just doing it. Because... That's the right thing to do. He was a mentor to me, and he took over where my brother dropped off. So I had all the secret, had the secret formula up my sleeve that my brother had taught me. Because my brother taught me everything I needed to know about stride. He taught me everything about, you know, the different type of training, like sand training. <laughs> like, like <laughs> uh, why is that funny? Uh, it's funny because my brother was running on the beach in Jamaica on an island and then he tries to come and teach me sand training in my backyard and grass in upstate New York. That is funny to see two black kids on green grass running around talking about sand training. But you know what? It made me stronger. It made my calves stronger and it trained them in a way that, you know, other people weren't trained. So it gave me an advantage in the 200 meter dash. I had stronger calves. I had stronger calves. So I get higher up on my toes. So I got higher up on my toes. It means that my stride was longer. This is the stuff that my brother taught me, right? This is crazy. He just taught it to me. And then Coach Johnson, when Coach Johnson came in, Coach Johnson gave me the formula on how to apply it to the track. He, he started telling, explaining to me about, okay, all, all this strength training you did in the gym to make your upper body stronger. Your upper body's got to move in a certain way. It can't just be moving as fast as you can move it, <laughs> you know? But some of the stuff my brother already taught me, but I just dummied up and just listened because I wanted to see if coach was coached. Cause I have a problem. My problem is this, and for young people listening to this don't have this problem. But listen, if you can't prove to me that you can lead me, then I won't be led by you. 
So prove to me that you're capable of leading me. Not by what you say, by what will you do. All right? That's just how I roll. Like, because that's what my brother did. He met, you know, when I said running backwards, he told me to do it. There's people that will tell you to go and run backwards, and they can't do it. So don't tell me to do it. And that's just my attitude in life. And luckily, I've been blessed to have people that have been able to do some amazing feats in my life to show me that amazing feats are possible. So it keeps me motivated. So Coach Johnson was always showing me ways to, you know, come out of the blocks properly. How to use blocks. I, I was beating kids just raw racing and, and like freshmen. Like there weren't freshmen that could, could see, like <laughs> there weren't freshmen that could keep up with me. It just wasn't happening. It looked ridiculous. And I don't know why. I do know why because of my training. Like when these kids were playing, you know, when these kids were at home playing video games, I was literally doing Jamaican sand training. My backyard like a fool. But not like a fool, but like look like a fool. But I wasn't distracted. I had a goal. So I was focused on my goal. So that's just how it worked, you know? <laughs> it's just I don't feel bad about it. So Coach Johnson was teaching me how to come out of blocks. He was teaching me the fundament the fundamentals of, you know, breath, breathing control, stride control. He was letting me know, you know, you're he broke it down to a science, like literally down to a science. He, you know, told me how many strides it was taking for me to get through a 100 meter dash, how to lengthen that stride. He was teaching me strength, stretching. Stretching is, Coach Johnson taught me that, you know, stretching is one of the most important things that you can do as an athlete and that it also gives you a competitive advantage because it increases your, your muscle dexterity. And the more muscle dexterity you have, the more strength you can put into your muscle. So little things that these guys were teaching me. These were gems. I, I still listen to it now. And when I work out in the gym, I, I apply it to my the philosophy. So and then Coach Johnson was doing amazing things like reading these books that taught him. Because it, really, it was really his first time co coaching. But the man was so passionate. He loved kids so much. And he really wanted to be successful. And that's even how he, like, he approached his career from what I saw. You know, But he was very successful as a coach because he was just so dedicated. And he was always educating himself. And he was always trying new things. And he was always honest about the results. If it worked, he kept it. If it didn't work, he got rid of it. And he was very, very, very diligent about it. You know what I mean? And he was always very, the one thing that I didn't like about it, because I was at a record to go after, was that sometimes he didn't take it as serious as I wanted him to, which was cool. I get it. You know, we're just kids. But to me, it was more than just being kids. It was my opportunity to show everybody that, you know, one, I was special. Two, I was fast as fuck. And three, that when I say I'm going to do something, I do it. So I took it very serious. So it was different. So sometimes I would slack off at practice, and that's what Coach saw. But you know what? When I was doing the stuff my brother taught me, I did it like a soldier because that's the way he taught it to me. You know? The only thing I really didn't really do, if I'm being honest, is run around that damn block every morning because that, that was crazy. It was a big-ass block. But I did did when I get to the track, do my warm-ups, and do everything I needed to do. So how did my first year go? My first year went pretty well. I started doing the training that Coach was teaching me. Oh, here's what Coach Johnson taught me that was phenomenal. He taught me about peaking, and this is important. And this is how I knew he, I didn't know what peaking was. And peaking is when you basically train an athlete for a certain dur dur duration of time so that an, an exact duration of time he peaks in his performance. He hits his personal 
records, PRs. So he would have me running these crazy things. I didn't even know. Like, they were just weak. Like, like five 100s and then jog around the track once. What? My brother had me doing, like, 15 100s, two 200s, two 50s, 125, two 10s, and three. Like, that's what my brother had me doing. So this guy was telling me to just run. I thought he didn't know what he was talking about. But I listened to him because that's what you do when you're trying to learn. You listen and say, okay, is this guy worthy of being my, my coach? And then when I saw how my times were coming down, and as my times were coming down, the workouts were getting harder or easier, I'm like, all right, this guy knows what he's talking about. You know, it was a science. It really was. So I had the blessing of having a coach that knew the science of it and was able to teach it to me, and also having a brother that knew the raw, like, passion that comes from Jamaica, from the coaching that he had and how he got his asthma out. Remind you, because of all the strength training and because of running with my brother for all those years, I clinically did not have asthma anymore. It's a fact. Like I, that is a like medical documented fact. Thank my brother for that. Once again. So now I have all this lung strength that my brother gave me from running around the block, and I have all this technical information from my coach, and I have all his training that I'm doing behind the scenes. And guess what? It's time to go to the track, and I got this kid named Jamal. I'm not gonna say his last name because he's literally a fugitive. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's a cool ass fugitive and he was he was dope and back then he was a fugitive too um, actually the first reason I was able to get on the varsity level track was because he went to jail <laughs> so the first time I saw him run I thought I was going to be able to beat him but Jamal was ridiculously fast his first time I remember I was running 12 seconds 100s as a freshman no as a sophomore that's when I started out my first sophomore year and then I remember him running an 11.6 and I just saw that I was like wow 11.6 I don't know if I'll be able to ever get down to that this year I knew I was going to be faster than Jamal but 11.6 was a lot and I just started training with him practicing with him he was a good guy when he came to practice when he did show up he really didn't show up and that was another reason why I knew I was going to beat him because he never showed he never showed up you know what I mean so I watched him. He was the first like major challenge that I had in track because I wanted his spot. I wanted to be on the varsity team. The girls were coming to see him, not my brother anymore because my brother graduated and Jamal was the fast student in town. So I wanted to be him. And he had my, he wasn't, he wasn't even close to the record. So actually he was like the first stepping towards her getting my goal. I wasn't even looking at, you know, getting under 12. I just knew I had to get to 11.6. Every track meet, I started getting faster and faster, but I was like getting to 11.8. When I mean faster and faster, I guess I would say like I was getting closer. I was demolishing like the, the, the freshmen. Like it was crazy. Like it wasn't even races. I didn't do, yeah, it was, it was just, it wasn't right. But when I started getting into the, the varsity races, like I was running like the 200 meter and I was placing second, third consistently, you know? Um, Jamal and this other fast kid, like they had the first and second. I don't even remember who the second person was really. I just know that Jamal was the one that had the eleven six. One day he got something to go to jail or something. I don't know. I'm not gonna go into detail, but he um couldn't come to the track main. John was Coach Johnson's like, yeah, you're running the one hundred. I was so happy. I was gonna tear everybody up. I remember exactly what school it was. It was Colony. It was raining. It was cold. I remember doing my warm up lap and just remember thinking like. 
I didn't want to be here. Like, I just didn't even want to be there. But I wanted to be there because it was my first time I'm going to shine on the track because I was going to, I was going to, listen, I was going to embarrass every single one of those varsity guys up there. Like, they didn't even belong up there with me. So when it was time to do the 100, I was the first within the blocks. I was, I remember I was warm too. I was too warm. Like, I was too warm because I was just too excited. I had a terrible lane. And the reason I remember having a terrible lane is because of what will happen at the end of the story. But I had a terrible lane because I could feel everybody to the right side of me because I had no one to my left. And I remember feeling how uncomfortable that was because I didn't know where I was in the race. So what does that mean? So when you're running a race, literally any sprinter out there that's listening to this, vouch for me and tell me if I'm right or tell me if I'm wrong. But you can literally feel the people in the lanes next to you all the way out to the last lane. You can see them, and if you can see them, you can feel their stride. So even if they're gaining, you can't feel in the peripheral, you know that when you're getting behind. Now, when you have a terrible, you're a little sophomore, or a little sophomore trying to compete with these, these um, varsity seniors to have all this history underneath them, not being able to feel them puts them at a very, very bad disadvantage, puts me at a very bad disadvantage. Also, being out in that terrible lane puts me at a disadvantage because it already recertifies that they're already faster than me. But I didn't even think about any of that. I don't even know if I knew that back then. <laughs> so, but I was going to embarrass these dudes. I remember the track being wet. I remember getting down to my blocks. I remember taking my breath. I remember the guy raising the gun. And I remember just coming out of the blocks as fast as I could, as strong as I could. And I wasn't listening to anything Coach Johnson said. I was going to beat these kids the same way that I beat all those other kids in elementary school. I threw out everything as far as waiting to get my head up, the strive phase, the stride phase. I was just going to light these kids up. And when I finally looked up, they were all ahead of me. <laughs> Every last one of them, I could tell you the numbers because it was like a phone number. Because <laughs> they were gone and I was behind and I was embarrassed. It was cold. I wanted to go home. Anyway, anyone talked to me on the ride home. I just went, I showed up at the 200 meter ride. I don't even know what the race looked like. I couldn't even tell you who I, what I did. I just knew that I had a lot of work to do and I didn't, I didn't belong out there with those guys. So. What I do, I just start working harder. I start listening to Coach Johnson. I started putting more time in the weight room. And I start, I just put him, I don't even know. I, I just, I just, I really just dedicated myself to just getting better because it was so embarrassing what happened to me out there, you know? And then I just started remembering, like, I got to start cherishing the races that I was having. So then there was, there was rivals that I would start studying. Because I wanted to never be in a race before. And I never wanted to be in a position when I was running a race not know what I was up against. So religiously, every time I came into that library, and the librarian would tell you in the high school that I would go in and look at the times. Because Coach Johnson told me. I saw Coach Johnson one day behind his desk looking at track, looking at the paper. I'm like, what are you always looking at? What are you always looking at? He told me. He was looking at the school record. There's the records. Uh, the, no, not the records, but the times that were run that week for track. And I was like, where can you find a sports section? Every morning after a race, I would go and I would check those times to know what the Jones brothers were doing, what um, Linear was doing, what um, all any anybody that was um, Monshore, what he was doing, 
any of those guys Johnson was doing, any of them, I wanted to know what times they were running, and I wanted to know if I was going to be able to beat their times. Were they getting faster? Were they getting slower? What track were they were running? I just got, I was obsessed with it. It was crazy. It didn't even make any sense. And then I started getting faster, and I started beating Jamal in races and, and practice. And then before I could officially beat Jamal in a, a, like an actual meet, he had to go, you know, do whatever he needed to do. So I finished that year off strong, but it wasn't really like anything memorable. It was just impressive that I made the team and I was actually getting points. But they listen. That summer, I met up me and my friend Winston, who I met the next year. Like <laughs> we teamed up and we started trading together. Like you know, Gohan and Goku. Listen, my whole perception of like training tra- changed, and we just pushed each other to a whole new level. And then that next year, my my um. What was what year was the most active year? Let's we'll go right. We'll go go right to tenth grade, right? Graduated, whatever the grade before I graduated at. Um, that year, that was my like, one of my breakthrough years. That was the year where the only person I was really going up against was myself. Before that, I'll tell you about this kid named Osai. This was crazy because <laughs> I'll go through the challenges I had for this record. So what happened that late, that my last year at, um, I think I only broke like 11.6 when I, I think I touched like 11.7 when I was in seventh grade. Not seventh grade, when I was, um, when I was a sophomore. So when I was going up against um, myself again in, in 11th grade, I was trying to go and get like between, obviously lower than 11.6, but I wanted to see if I could break 11, which I didn't know how the heck I was going to do it. Because when I first started running, I was running like 12 threes and it was really, really weak. I started getting beat by Osai, who was running like solid, like, this kid was running like 11 fives consistently when he first started the season. So my biggest challenge was getting under 11.6 and then beating this kid Osai. Now let me explain to you who Osai was. And Osai, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you up on Facebook and let you listen to this. Yo, Osai was a smooth African cat that was a prince of Africa. How was I going to be a prince of Africa? And this dude took all the girls because he was beating me. But let me tell you how this ended. He was my biggest challenge because he was fast. He had some weird-ass training. I don't know what it was that he was doing, but he showed up every day. He did everything Coach Johnson said he should do. only thing that was wrong with, with, with Osai was that he didn't do the work in the gym, the weight worm. He didn't just never did it. So we would always be back and forth. It was me and him back and forth, back and forth. He got a lot of ones before, a lot of wins when practice. But when season started coming around, I just showed up a little bit more than him. I just hit the weights a little bit harder than him. At the end of the season, I know we both were like at 11. We were like at 11 flats. That's crazy. And it was just me pushing him. Like he would run an 11.5. No, he, I remember he like ran like 11.6. I would run like 11.6. He run like 11.5. I'd run like 11.4. He run 11.4. Then I run 11.3. He run 11.3. Then I run 11.1. And that's how we did. We just kept going back and forth. I ended up beating him because of the strength work. And I think I just worked out harder and I was better. So he ended up moving and going to Albany. So, so when he went and moved to Albany, he became my rival in Albany. He didn't really take it that serious. So the person that came my second rivalry was Winston because he was training so much and doing everything that 
when I met Winston, just back this up. When I met Winston, he was saying he was me when my brother met me. Just raw, just just fast. You know what I mean? Like he was just fast. But he didn't have speed. He didn't know how to control it. He didn't know how to come out of the blocks. He didn't know how to like he didn't understand the different phases. He didn't control his breathing. Like I remember when I first raced him, I didn't even like I said I, I didn't even use stride on him. You know what I mean? Like stride is just simply just extending your legs, lifting your knees up, and just running. I really just outworked him in the two hundred. I just let him. He just when you're it's it's almost when you're not running right. It's almost like you're it's almost like you're swimming backwards. Like you're, you're, you know, it's like you're swimming up against current. When you're f running really fast, like well, I remember when I was running really fast, the wind felt like it was like blowing past my ears. Like I could hear it, like it was screaming. That's when I was running as fast as I could. And I just remember, like that's how I would gauge myself. The faster I was running, like the louder that scream got. And it sounds crazy, but as a kid, I wanted to hear a demon when I was running. Because when I was training, Half the time I was training, you know what I was thinking in my head? I was thinking about everybody that doubted me about that record and everybody that was in my way, Osai, you know, Winston. Even though he was my training partner, just like everybody in this world they know that's competitive. You're sometimes your best training partner is your biggest competitor. And that year he became that big competitor. I won't go I won't be able to go back and recall what years were what, but I know my race is inside out. I'll s I I won't do myself the injustice of going through and telling like, try to recall certain races, I'm going to write them down and put them in order and redo this podcast if people are interested in hearing the stories. But I will tell you something that I do remember. Like, I do remember me and Winston would train because I pushed him and he pushed me. And after a while, like, Osai didn't even matter. Like, I, we, me and Winston were training so much at school and then going and running at Skidmore Track. That's where we trained. We would leave school... <laughs> And we would go over to Skidmore Track, jump the fence, and continue training. And he would do everything I told him to do. It got to the point where the, the guards there, we had a story ready if the guards asked us what we were doing there. And sometimes they would just ask us just to be funny. Because they knew where they were, we were just too. And the, why were they asking us? I'm going to be honest with you, just so you guys can know the story is legit. We're two black kids that are on a Skidmore running. <laughs> we're saying that we go there. <laughs> like it just didn't, it didn't make sense that we were high school you know what i mean but that's what i'm saying like there's cool people in the world they, they just saw that we were just two kids trying to train on the track and they just let us they just let us rock and our little stupid story about how we went there and we forgot our key or whatever they didn't care and sometimes you know what we did we stayed there until i, I know vividly what the stars on that track that lacrosse field is getting more look like because a lot of times i was there running practicing my stride visualizing when winning some of these races against some of the goliaths that i was going against in my division and i was just taking them down one by one i wake up every morning go in there i would do my my workout and then my brother taught me you know parts of it the ab parts of it whatever so i just have a little bit of an advantage going in the day walk into that school check the times to see what times they were running matching to see what i was doing talking to coach about where he thought i was going to peek at and then just going to these races and attacking it. And I remember um, when I first broke 11 seconds. <laughs> I remember when I did that. It was the mo it was. I remember the wind. <laughs> it was screaming. 
I didn't hear anything. I was just in a zone. If you've never been in a zone, I'm going to do my best of explaining the zone to you. Like, I remember waking up that morning and just knowing that I was going to run fast. I knew I was going to run fast because Coach was really made the mistake of saying this to me the day before. Coach came up to me. And I remember exactly where I was in the hallway at the, at the high school. And he said, listen, these kids at Shaker are fast. I've been watching this kid McDonald or McCory or whatever he was. And he, um, he's, his, speed, his times have been increasing every week. And I think that if we show up very strong, we'll be lucky to get second and third. And if we can get second and third there, Milton, you can get the long jump, and then we can pick up the four by one. And then you can, Milton, if you can pick up the 200 to get second place there, then, you know, we'll be good. Now, that sounds like a positive statement to everybody, right? Not to me. It really pissed me off. It made me very angry. Because right there, I was also increasing my numbers every year. I was also a freshman that had varsity lettered. Like he was, it was like he—it was a mirror image of me, but he was using someone else's name, and it made it made me feel like he doubted me, and I did not like being doubted, especially if you're my coach, you know. So it really bothered me. So I remember waking up that morning ready to run. Like I just—I remember going to all my classes. Like let's just get this get this over with. I remember listening to Biggie Smalls when I was on the track, warming up. I didn't talk to anybody. I was just in my own world. I remember, like, when I was taking, I was getting ready to get down in my box for the 200. I was so into listening to the beat, going through my head, visualizing what I had to do. That I didn't even know that. So I had my headphones, I was getting down into the blocks. I had my headphones on. And the ref had to come over and tell me to take my headphones off, and I did. It didn't bother me, though. It didn't phase me because I was so zoned out for the rest. I was too zoned out. And this kid was supposed to tear me up. He was supposed to get, I was supposed to get second to this kid. And I'll never forget, he was, I was in lane four. He was in lane five. Lane four means I had the best track, means I had the best time, means I was faster than them. So mentally, I was ready, in my mind, like, how was I going to lose to this guy? He was in lane five, so I could see every move that he made. You know? If I came out of that lane ahead of him, then that means that I am technically winning that race. Like, that means... It, doesn't, it, it means I'm tremendously winning that race because of the stagger. If I can make up the stagger and be even with him, coming into the, the 100, he's done. And that's all I was thinking. I, didn't, I wasn't thinking about anything else. So all I needed, I really, it's supposed to take me like probably like 10 steps to even up the stagger. I remember when I was coming up out of those blocks, when it took me three steps before I looked up, by the five, fifth step, I already passed him. When I was in the zone, the reason why I felt like I was in the zone was because everything, it's like you're watching yourself. It's like you step out of your body, you're looking over your shoulder, and you're watching yourself. And everything that you're supposed to do perfect is being done. And there's nothing you can do. Because it's almost like it's acting, it's like your reflex is acting so fast. So by the time you get an opportunity to actually do it, it's already being done. And you don't correct it because it's perfect. And you just almost like, it's like it's an auto, it's like an autopilot. You don't hear anything. You don't see. It's just tunnel vision. And all your focus is on the goal. That's it. And... 
your body feels light. Like I said, you feel like you're just over your shoulder. And when I passed this kid, like it was almost like, it was almost like I started running a second race. I felt it. Like I remember I passed him and I hadn't even hit the I, I passed him and I hadn't even hit the straightaway yet. So when I passed him and I hadn't hit the straightaway, I said to myself, "Yo, let's get this record. <laughs> let's get this record." Like it was automatic, like it was automatic. Like let's get this record. And I came around that turn and I put I just felt like my brother coming through that with the transfer speed into that second cuz it didn't even feel like I was running a sec. It felt like I only ran like 180 meters because that that transition was so light to me that I had so much strength left in me coming down that last 100 meters. It was oh my goodness. I just remember how, much, how pumped I was and how excited I was coming down the track. I remember Coach Johnson; he had the time, so he was jumping up all crazy. It's picture like a picture like a white, um, heavy set white guy, old, bald, with like those corny, let us those corny visors that you like. They're like half hat visors that rich white people wear when they're playing golf. He's got these ugly shorts on, jumping up and down with this like this time board, his stopwatch, and glasses and. It was crazy, but I tore off that track coming down there, and I only wish I only wish I had a little bit more strength in me, cause I would have just, I'd, oh man, that's the fastest I've ever run in my whole entire life. I don't even think I heard the wind; it didn't even matter, cause it was just I just saw the finish line. I just knew I was like running the fastest I ever run. I just wanted to, I just wanted that record. I got it. I got that record. It was twenty two point twenty two point one seconds. I got that record. But that wasn't the record I was going for. The record I was going for was a school record, which was 10.9 seconds. I got that too. But I'm not going to tell you about that race, this podcast. I'm going to tell you that race because I'm going to sit down and write every detail of that race. I'm going to just kind of give myself a mental test to uh, see what I can do, see if I can recreate that. If you guys are interested, let me know, and it'll be one I can do it very soon. But why am I saying all these things? Like, what is the purpose of me bragging about getting the school record and beating my brother and the people that I went up against? And Because you know what? Some of those people are going to be you. Some of those people are going to be yourself. Some of those people that are going to get in the way of you being what you can be, get the school record or doubt what you're capable of doing is going to be you. And it happens, especially when you're depressed, it's a loud voice. And when I told you guys before, it's called head trash, and you have to ignore it. Because if you don't, it'll take over, and you will be depressed, and you'll stay depressed, and you won't wake up, and you won't make your bed, and you won't keep your promises that you keep to yourself. My biggest, my biggest critic is me, but I keep it healthy. I keep, I keep myself healthy, and I keep myself honest. If I know I'm slacking, then I get on myself. If I know that I'm working too hard, then I give myself a vacation. If it means that something ain't getting paid for the month, something ain't, something ain't getting paid for the month. But I, I know that I need that. I need that recharge. Because if my if I'm off, that voice inside my head, the one that I listen to, the one that's not telling me trash, the one that's not doubting me, the one that, that's always wrong because I check it, because I go into something like when I first started doing comedy, I stepped up on stage. There was a voice in me telling me, you can't do that. This ain't, what are you doing here? Your jokes ain't funny. You're stupid, you're black. 
I, I know I'm black. But you're ugly and you're dumb and these jokes, no one's going to connect with that the audience doesn't get you. Like, what are you talking about? No one, no one cares about your divorce. No one cares about jujitsu. No one cares about being black growing up in Saratoga. Shut up. You're stupid. You just got to ignore that. No one's going to laugh. Just got to ignore it. But then when you do it, you check yourself and go back, well, how come you're not talking now? So next time that voice is a little bit quieter and you're a little bit more confident that it's wrong. The more times you prove it wrong, guess what? <laughs> it stops showing up after a while. And I think that's maybe you can call yourself a black belt or a professional or whatever. And I think even then it shows up. You just got to know how to control it. But you cannot let it control you. And these habits and that I'm talking about, if you stop, do you start doing them, give yourself a baseline. You know, like my training how honest I was about my training and what I was doing with what my brother was teaching me. If I didn't do those things the right way, and if I didn't push as hard as I was supposed to push, and I was just taking reps off and I'm pushing all the way through, then I was cheating myself. And if I was cheating myself, then going after that record, I wasn't giving myself the best opportunity to achieve it. You know? So it's the same thing in life. Like when, if there's something that you can do, like I don't get when I tell people certain things, not because I'm super successful in life. I'm successful, but I'm not super successful. And I'm successful in the terms of that I'm, I'm living the life that I want to live, not in any other way. But I did that to some extent by morning pages. It's getting up and writing down my ideas, my thoughts, getting them all on page. Three pages. How many days did I do it? You guys know? 30 days. And then after a while, it was like a drug. I couldn't put it down, but it was a healthy drug. And it focused my thoughts. It, it freed me from like just trash ideas that didn't need to be there. And it opened up my, like my creativity. And it made writing you know, one page a very light thing to do or writing a half a page or a sentence or a paragraph very easy. But just having that determination, having that discipline, it's not about just writing three pages a day. It's about how bad do I want this? I'm not going to get religious with people right now, but I'm just going to ask you a question. It's a fair question. I'm asking you listen to him right now as an individual. How bad do you want something if you can't do a simple task for 30 days? How much do you deserve something? Like if you can't even commit to doing one thing for 30 days, why do you think the universe or whoever you believe gives you, not gives you things, but makes achieving things possible? What would make you think you deserve that? Like, what would be your argument? Let's flip that. What if I said, if you do this for 30 days, it will make you better? Why would you not do that? That's what blows my mind. And the people that do do it are like, damn, I'm better and I'm thankful I did it. <laughs> and then they continue doing it and they continue getting better. And then they're like telling other people and then other people don't do it. That's why it's like, <laughs> people are like, a 5% club. You know why they're a 5% club? Because they're only, there's only 5% of the people in the world willing to do what it takes. That's why they're they're 5%. You know? If you know what you got to do, just do it. If someone that, like my brother, is telling me, you know, this is what I did so I have enough strength to run backwards around the neighborhood, you know what? Then that's what I'm going to do. And until I can run backwards around the neighborhood, I'm not going to focus on anything else. I I got this idea for morning pages from a very brilliant artist that I have a lot of respect for. 
and they were very free and they were very creative and they were just very open with their ideas and they didn't challenge themselves and have all this doubt and I asked them how do you do it I said morning pages I was like huh I'm gonna do morning pages and I just did it and it worked and I was blown away by it and every time I start to get you know behind or my mind starts to get a little cluttered I do it and I'm back in that same space it's like it's a gift that I was given you give it to other people and they just don't take advantage of it blows blows my mind but you have to do that to just keep that voice in check so that you don't get depressed so you don't get you don't put yourself in that hole you know and when you when you give yourself goals like i gave myself a goal you can't get distracted by other things you know there were a lot of stupid things i had to deal with in high school and they're just stupid then there's a lot of things that people that are in high school now have to deal with that are just stupid but you know they were ignorant and they were unnecessary and you know what being on that track and winning all those races and getting that and I hate to say it, it doesn't sound does not sounds bad, people, but listen to me. I'm being honest with you, right? This is what this is about. But taking that record from a rich white boy, from me, a Jamaican with Jamaican immigrants that couldn't even read or write, that they just didn't even really, you know, really, really give attention to in that school and give the respect that they should give. It was nice. It felt great because once my time was lower than his, they had to take that name off the wall and put mine up there. <laughs> Granted, they did put the wrong time up there, but we'll get into that another time. We'll get into that when I have like over, you know, a million viewers. Then we'll talk about that one. But for now, we'll just let that slide underneath the bridge like water. <laughs> another thing is, when you put these rituals in place and you don't, you stop using them, then you know that's when something is going wrong. That's why you have these rituals in places. I'm gonna talk about my old boss, John, Ron Riggy, uh, one of the down the podcast. One of the richest men in the world. Well, I wouldn't say world, but in upstate New York, by far one of the richest men. Uh, very powerful man. I worked for him. I was his right-hand man next to five other sales managers, so I learned a lot. Tremendous for 10 years. And I want to give you guys some of that knowledge. Not knowledge that'll get me killed, but knowledge that'll make you successful in whatever you're doing. But what I'm telling, the reason why I'm speaking about him now is because I could set my clock by his habits, by his rituals of when he drank tea, when he did his writing, when he did his stroll around the office, any of those things. I could set my time to all of those. And when I did when I when I did lose like something was off with him or he wasn't right, it wasn't on the right schedule, it was because it was a weekend or something. <laughs> you know? But throughout the week, who was the first person in the office, who was the last person in the office, what time he was having his tea, what time he was having lunch, what he was having for lunch, where he was getting it from lunch ritual vitamins when he was taking his vitamins what vitamins he was taking this is rituals like just over and over and over no thought just reaction because he used all of his brain power to just get things done and then if he was off one day like he was really pissed and he didn't have his morning tea but oh shit i didn't have his morning tea <laughs> you know but that wasn't very often <laughs> that he misses morning tea or his afternoon hot water like, this is, I'm not making this up. This is how calculated this person was. It was because of these rituals. So I'm saying that I know when I start getting off balance and I'm not doing my rituals. What I'm telling you is, I think, or viewers or myself as a reminder, if I listen to this down the road, is, you know, make your bed. <laughs> Wake up, get up, and make your bed. And if you stop making your bed, ask yourself why. And if you're not making your bed besides listening to this, because 
why why aren't you making your bed ask yourself ask yourself that question and then check this out and tell me reach out to me and tell me if i'm wrong make your bed for 30 days right and tell me message me so i know people are listening to this tell me how good it feels after you come home from a long day at work right it could be a crappy one it could be a good one doesn't even matter pick one and you open up your bedroom door and your bed is made perfectly. It's like someone did it for you. Tell me if that doesn't like make you feel better. Like if it doesn't, how about that? If it doesn't, send me a message. Cause I want to see what kind of bed you're sleeping in. <laughs> you must have a terrible bed to go home to a perfectly made bed and not be happy about it. Like just think about it mentally when you're in a hotel. You know, like in a nice you, you spend some money, you're in a nice hotel. You go out for the evening, you come back in, you want the bed to be made, right? And then you see, you're just like, God, damn, that bed looks so good. You just feel good for no reason. It's just a made bed. Like, a made bed makes everyone happy. So that's like, it was like a double treat because it was a first promise that I made to myself that morning. And then I fulfilled it. So in that afternoon, I'm feeling good. I'm reminded, like, damn, bro, you're on point. See the way you lay that, that sheet over that, that cover there? Shh. You just look at it for a minute. You know what I mean? Well, you don't got to do all that, but you get the point. So, yeah, this went into an interesting direction. Um, but a lot of good things came out of it. And uh, I hope I answered that question. I know that I did. We had a little technical difficulty, but, hey, I'm learning. And I don't even think you guys even noticed. Like, if I didn't even say we had a technical difficulty, they're like, what technical difficulty is he talking about? And that's that's the magic of this thing, you know? Did he edit it? Did he leave it in? You're never going to know. But, um, listen, if you're out there and you're depressed, the only thing else I can say to you is this, you know? I know you feel alone. Because I was there. And... The fact that you're looking for people to give you the right answers is the first, like, right step in the right direction. And I don't necessarily feel like you always need to get a professional right into what revolved right away. If you, what I do actually is I reach out to people that I haven't talked to in a long time that, you know, that know you. And then you just kind of reminisce about, you know, the old days. Sometimes just doing that, being around someone that's positive that, you know, when you're down, they kind of like, hey. Sometimes you're just so off balance that they're like, wait a minute, what's going on with you? And you guys just start reminiscing about stuff and you begin to realize, you know, that, oh, damn, that's the type of person I am. Sometimes you just need little reminders, you know, but whatever you do is surround yourself by positive people, not negative people. And that's going to be a huge help, too. And reach out, wake up and do read those, you know, positive things. Read a positive book, self-help books help. They're corny, but guess what? They help. They're effective. Some of the most corniest things in the world are the most honest things in the world. And just run down with a bunch of corny sayings and be like, oh, yep, check, that's corny, corny, yep, that's corny, yep, yep, that real is real is real, real recognized real, that's really what it is. So do those things and and not, nothing stays the same. That's the other part of what I, I remember. Sometimes you just got to ride it out, you know? I just, just, I won't tell you every all the crappy things that happened to me in the last year, but there's some pretty crappy ones. And I came out of it with the podcast. And I'm getting a lot of support. Uh, I feel like I'm inspiring a lot of people only because I'm being told that I'm inspiring a lot of people. And that's the whole goal of this thing. And that's why I'm doing all these episodes because I'm, I'm enjoying this. 
I'm enjoying the feedback that I'm getting and I'm enjoying the interaction. And I want this to be different. You know, I want I want this to be a different podcast. I want people to, to when they come to this, to walk away with something different. Whatever it is. I don't I don't care whatever it is, but just walk away with something. Enough to make you want to walk back and listen to another episode and help me spread the word about this podcast and some of the guests I have on here because it's going to be some remarkable content and it's just going to keep on growing. I think the, the last time I remember feeling this way was really about the, when I was going after that school record. I'm not going after any records here, but I'm going to go after the same focus. I'm going to learn what I need to learn to get better at this. And once I really get this thing in stride, it's I just really want you guys to know that it's because of your help. It's all this is all gonna be word of mouth. I'm not I'm not gonna use any tricks for marketing or anything like that. It's just gonna be word of mouth. I just see how we can grow this thing, you know? Show me some support. Give me that feedback. Let me know that you're listening. I had a couple shout outs on Instagram last week. That made my that made that <laughs> that little every time I see someone shouting me out on Instagram I'm surprised, especially when they reference the podcast. It's so dope. It makes you just want to do another episode right there and then. Um but yeah, I have no problem putting out content. Tomorrow we're going to have Nick Johnson on the show. It's going to be an epic show. Nick Johnson is a phenomenal athlete. Um, he's also a personal trainer. And one of my trainers that I work with is in jiu-jitsu. He's one, one of the best training partners I have. One of my one of my personal favorite training partners. He um just been a lot of growth in the roles. Uh, the last podcast that I had with Steve, I talked about going into some of the... Sometimes when you go into your training... You have like really, really good roles that are memorable and they teach you something that you remember moving forward. And a lot of those times it's with Nick because the guy is a monster as far as strength and he matches my strength inch for inch and pound for pound, you know. But he but when he's doing it, he whoops my ass. But he's also teaching me after so that I'm getting better. So it's he's not whooping my ass anymore. You know, it's a battle. And it's all because he makes me better, you know. And that's the difference with jujitsu. But we'll get into that in another episode. But I just wanted to give you guys an idea of who's coming on the show tomorrow. I'm super excited about that. I'm probably going to post it tomorrow. But you guys can get that. And like I said, I speak things into existence. So if I'm saying I'm going to do it, the only way Nick won't be on the show is if Nick's not on the show. But uh, if he isn't, I'm going to be back on here with something. So once again, thank you for the support. And um, I'll see you guys tomorrow night. That's it.